Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller. Hello and welcome to The Thriller Zone. I'm your host, David Temple. Hope your summer is off to a great start. Our fifth season is off to a great start. And on today's show, Lowdown Road by Scott Vondoviak is our guest. This is a great, fun read. Do you remember the movies, like the drive-in movies from the 70s, if you're old enough to remember that? (laughs) Remember those drive-in movies? Chase scenes, rednecks getting in all kinds of trouble, pot, evil Knievel, cops gone bad, all that good fun. It's right here in Scott's latest thriller. With that in mind, let's get right to it. Welcome Scott Vondoviak, right here on The Thriller Zone. It is so nice to finally be uh, hanging out with you because we've been, uh, I guess, Twitter pals for a while. So it's Mm -hmm. nice to finally pull around and belly up to the bookstore. This little book right here, uh, we're going to get to, I want to get to know you a little bit better, but I want to put a little caveat out here. Probably one of the most entertaining reads I've read in a while. And I and I probably say a similar thing often. However, this is a very specific niche that when you say, you know, I want to take off in this direction, it's the per- <laughs> it's the perfect antidote for that journey. Wow. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. It's just so much fun. I do want to, I think I will start out the show with folks. It's, I've known Scott for a short while, thanks to social media, but I was, um, maybe it was this weekend, maybe it was last weekend. I don't remember. We're, we're in the middle of a big move. And I saw, (laughs) I saw this video on his, it was Instagram, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I I think I put it everywhere, but yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to give it a cue up here and see if we can play it for you folks. So bear with me a second. Hi, I'm Evil Knievel. You know, when I was recuperating from breaking every bone in my body, I had a lot of time for reading. But I didn't do any. I would have, though, if there had been a book as exciting as Low Down Road Around. It's the thrilling tale of two cousins from Texas driving a truck full of marijuana up to Twin Falls, Idaho, where I am preparing to jump the Snake River Canyon. No spoilers. Lowdown Road is available July 11th from bookstores everywhere. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not even close to Evil Knievel's voice, but, you know, it just seemed right. And now I don't have to summarize the plot. He just did it for me. <laughs> uh, first of all, I was the biggest fan of Evil Knievel. And what kid growing up in that era wasn't, right? That's true. Um, uh, yeah, I fit the demographic there. Um and I definitely had uh, the, the the stunt cycle. Um, I really wanted to get a get one for my uh, bookstore appearances uh, this time, but they they were a little pricey, uh, yeah. pricier than they were back in the early seventies. But uh, yeah, I uh, you know I would wind him up, let him go, and he would always not go where I wanted, and he'd crash into something. And at the time, I didn't realize, oh, this is very accurate. <laughs> to the real evil Knievel, because that's usually what happened when he did one of his stunts. It would go awry at the end. He'd, he'd break every bone in his body, like he said. 
I have watched so many documentaries on that guy. And uh, this the story isn't all about evil Knievel. It's just one particular point in it. These guys are on, a, on the way to this uh, Snake River Canyon jump, and they're going to sell uh, some pot and make a lot of money. But I'm re- reflecting back to that time. He really did break nearly every bone in his body, didn't he? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. And um, which was, you know, when you're a kid and you don't know these things, he just seems like he's a real life superhero. He dressed like one. You know, he had the the, the star spangled leather outfits <laughs> and he was doing these crazy things. It's not until much later you read about him as an adult and you go, oh, boy, he had some problems. He was not a great guy. <laughs> yeah, no, not so much. You know, another thing, too, is uh, when we were growing up, we um, I had a spider bike, you know, with the monkey bars and the saddle seat and all that stuff. And we would put forks on it and we would be riding around the neighborhood and we would watch those videos and we would go out in the backyard or down near the lake and try to make those jumps. And many of my friends took out front teeth, broke their wrists and so forth. And when I was watching that growing up, I thought it was so cool. But when I saw all that damage done, I'm like, I think I'll pass on that. <laughs> yeah, I think I might have try to you know <laughs> scale down versions maybe just a little uh, hump of dirt trying to jump up off it but yeah it never went well yeah well low down road as i said is um and i've said this phrase before and it must have come from my southern upbringing it's a hoot and a half and there is um so much to like about it i want and i want to cover so many things about this book and we're going to get to it but there is a little bit of backstory to you, and I did not know this until I did some digging, that you have three other great uh, books in your cadre. Hick Flicks, The Rise and Fall of Redneck Cinema, <laughs> which I've got to read. Uh, second one is if you like the Terminator, and then uh, Stephen King Films FAQ. Um, how did you get to the point where you said, this is going to be my journey? Like, was it television based? Uh, were you always just a fan of that genre? Well, I was, yeah. I mean, I was always into TV and movies. Um, always wanted to be a writer, um, but um, sort of came into it through reviewing um, and that kind of stuff. You know, when the when the web was young and it was kind of the wild, wild west, I got started with a website just reviewing films and I wasn't getting paid, but I was getting admission to the free critic screenings, uh, which was a blast at the time and um, worked my way up from there. And I got, you know, uh, once I assembled some clips, I became the backup uh, film critic at the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. Usually just ended up with whatever the (laughs) main critic didn't want to review. So I ended up (laughs) reviewing some real turkeys in my time there. Uh, and then went on to the AV club. And so uh, during that time, um, it's when I got the idea for my first book, which was Hick Flicks. And that was, um, inspired by a kind of a canoe trip I took, uh, sponsored by the Alamo draft house here, where you took a a trip down the river and then they showed deliverance at the end. And (laughs) they had set up some, they had some actors. I hope they were actors set up, uh, along the along the river so you'd come around the bend and they'd give you a long stare like you're really in the mood for deliverance but before the movie they showed a bunch of uh trailers for you know drive-in movies from the 70s and you know burt reynolds stuff stuff with cars 
wrecking and moonshine and all that. And I thought, well, this is kind of a genre unto itself. And I, I wonder if there's a book about these movies. I couldn't find one. So that's when I decided to write it myself. Brilliant. Yeah, that's the book does feel like it feels like a combination of kind of Dukes of Hazard, Burt Reynolds, uh, uh, you know, but it's. And even the cover, you feel like when you see the cover, you feel like, oh, I've seen this movie before. Is that a movie poster? I mean, each one, each character looks like somebody that would have easily been in a movie and which is why it so pulls you in. Yeah, that was uh, when I first saw it, I was just blown away. That's Tony Stella is the artist. And basically the direction was, you know, make it look like this is a poster for one of those 70s drive-in movies. And he really did. I mean, it, 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 it's perfect for the book. Well, you've got everything dialed in. The, uh, the hot gal with the um, Daisy Dukes. You got the sheriff. You got the guy with the gun. I mean, I was sure this was a Roy Scheider at the, at the beginning. And then you got, of course, Evil Knievel. Anyway, just a fantastic. Is this guy still doing covers? Yeah, this is uh, uh, this may be his first book cover. I'm not entirely sure, but he, you know, he's an artist. He does posters and stuff, and um, I think it's definitely his first for Hard Case, if not his first ever. But uh, yeah. Well, I'm giving a big shout out to Tony Stella. We'll find his uh, credentials or his website, and we'll share it down below because a mad talent. Freelance writer for several decades, right? And you've no doubt had a good deal of uh, practice uh, diving into this subculture. Your debut novel, uh, and I was I was finding this on Goodreads, uh, Charles Gate Confidential, was called Terrific by Stephen King. And when you have a debut and you can get that kind of accolade from that size of an author, uh, that's an accomplishment in and of itself. But then it went on to be named one of the top 10 crime novels of 2018. How does it feel? What was that experience like coming out of the gate with something that big? Surreal. It was like a dream come true. You know, I, I knew that there was a possibility of Stephen King reading it because he has done several books with hard case crime. So, uh, Charles, uh, our die, the, the man who is hard case crime, he basically said, well, I'll send it to him, but you know, he gets so many books and it's going to go in a giant pile and you just never know if he's going to get to it or, you know, get to it in time. And so I tried not to get my hopes up, but then uh, one night I'm just uh, sitting in a bar. I, my phone lights up and I see Stephen King has followed you on Twitter. And of course, at first I thought, well, this is, yeah. you know, a parody account, a fan account. It's not the real guy. But, you know, then I pulled him up and, oh, yeah, no, that that's definitely him. Millions of followers. That's him. And uh, and he tweeted about it. He gave us a blurb. And we, over the years since then, like. Every now and then I'll tweet something, just some random thought, and he'll pick up on it and respond. Or and, and suddenly, like my notifications are just completely blown up. But it's it's pretty cool because I grew up in Maine, and Bangor, Maine, was like the closest thing to a, a city uh, where I lived. And so you know, Stephen King was the man. You know, all through, I mean, he was my writing hero growing up. So it was it was just an amazing thing for me. Let's go down a road for like 30 seconds about Stephen King. How does a guy, it, it's, it's somewhat rhetorical. How does a guy continue to put out such not only a prolific number of books, but a number of words and never seem to 
duplicate himself. It's it's mind boggling to me. Uh, yeah, I have no idea. He's very uh, disciplined, I guess. He has his hours that he works every day. He says he only takes off like two days a year or something from writing. Let's go back to Charles Gate Confidential. Uh, I read oodles of uh, fabulous comments on Goodreads, uh, and, and it, it seemed to resonate with the readers. Why do you suppose that book found such success? Uh, again, I think because I'm asking you this guy, because I always try to you know, drill down on um, the magic of what makes something successful. It's just always perplexing to me. Like, I, you know, is, is it a perfect storm? Was it just the right time? Was it the topic was just on point at the time? Have you ever thought about this? You know, it's unusually structured. It's set in three different time periods and you kind of rotate between them throughout the book. And each time period deals with the same building at Charles Gate in Boston. And it's a different thing in each time period. It's a luxury hotel in the 1940s that's kind of fallen on hard times and the mob is kind of taking it over. And then we go to the 80s and then it's a college dorm. Happens to be the college dorm I lived in for three years. So that section is semi-autobiographical. Um, and then and then there's more a present day um almost a police procedural kind of thing. And it all revolves around this real heist, the Gardner Museum heist. And for some reason, when I was writing the book, you know, I just pulled this out of history and I, I, it wasn't really a big thing at the time, but in the past couple of years, it's just kind of been in the pop culture ether. There was a Netflix limited series on the Gardner heist and uh, some other books. And so it might've just been timing on that, even though I took liberties with it. I moved it from 1990 back to the 1940s because that's when I needed it to happen. <laughs> yeah. And the museum was exactly the same in both times. So it didn't, to me, it didn't really matter that much. Some people, I guess that bothers them, but you know, a lot of people from Boston love it because I reference all these places uh, that I used to go that are gone now and people can get nostalgic with it. So I guess it's a few different things. And PS who doesn't love a good heist movie, right? Isn't that one of the most successful genres of all time? That's true. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I apparently I love them because I put a heist in Lowdown Road also. So. Yeah. Uh, one thing I love finding out, and if I'm not mistaken, none of your books had been done uh, in, on audiobook until now. It looks like uh, Confidential came out. Was it a week ago? Yeah, just about a, a week ago. Yeah. yeah. And you're yeah. getting Lowdown on audio too, right? Yeah, it'll, that'll be out same day, uh, July 11th with the the paperback and the ebook and the audio will all be out. Started listening to Charles Gate on audio, and that's a very strange experience. Just, uh, it's a self-conscious experience listening to it, but it's it's fun too. You know what's going to be really fun, Scott, is when you finally see uh, Lowdown Road up on the screen. Well, I sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just absolutely made for it. I mean, it's absolutely perfect. It, I hear writers say things like. I just simply sit down and dictate the movie that I'm watching in my head. And this book feels kind of like that. That's exactly how I think of it. It's this is like the 70s drive-in movie in my mind. Like if I could take those movies and if I could make them better and more like other things I like and, you know, put my own spin on, uh, that's really what I was trying to do. Yeah. I know that we teed up the uh, story with that little uh, Instagram video. However, I'm going to read three reviews and then I'm going to get your 
elevator pitch on the book. The first one comes from the aforementioned master of thrillers, Stephen King. Says, what a uh, effing great story. New York Times says, Low Down Road evokes the Dukes of Hazard in a good way. Love that article. Gave you lots of press on that this weekend. S.A. Cosby says, a raw and rugged journey through the dark heart of America. So aptly put. And Kirkus Reviews, a wild ride that can't end well for anyone but readers whose nostalgia includes a hearty appetite for violence. Dude, those uh, are four delicious reviews. Yeah, they really are. You know, I mean, you don't know how something is going to be received when you're down in the weeds. Sure. You know, writing it. And, you know, there were times where I thought, I don't know, is this just... For me, is this just something I'm doing to amuse myself? Is there any audience for this or anyone else who would appreciate this kind of thing? And, you know, it's, it, it is a lonely life uh, when you're writing, but then when suddenly other people are reading it, it gets less lonely, you know? And uh, it's just amazing to get uh, those kind of reviews, you know? I can't deny, I mean, <laughs> the Dukes of Hazard thing, there is a little bit of that in the DNA. Sure. Uh, this story involves two cousins and they're, you know, good old boys or whatever. But it was really more about reaching back to those uh, 70s drive-in movies and kind of pulling out elements that I liked and kind of reworking them. Well, go ahead and give us the pitch for Chuck and Dean. What, what Chuck and Dean are up to and what where they're going and why. Chuck has been out of prison for six months and he's restless. He's, he's, he's just looking for trouble and he finds it and he goes into a bar, he starts hitting on a woman, he thinks he's got it made, she leaves with him, but he doesn't understand that he's just a patsy in this uh, <laughs> love triangle, and uh, by the time his uh, night ends, uh, the woman is dead, and so is the her husband, the deputy sheriff, and uh, what he doesn't know, and what we find out, is that the sheriff he doesn't really care that his deputy's dead, but he was having an affair with the deputy's wife and he really cares about that. And so uh, Chuck needs to get out of town and he's got a scheme and he enlists his somewhat unwilling cousin Dean into it, uh, which is that uh, Dean works for the local pot kingpin, Antoine. And Chuck says, hey, there's this event going on, this Snake River Canyon jump. There's going to be thousands and thousands of freaks and weirdos up there let's uh take a bunch of pot up there and i've got a guy who's willing to buy it dean's like well i don't think antoine's gonna go for that and he's like well he doesn't have to know so they heist the pot and head on up and it's kind of a road story and there are they run into trouble along the way and they're being pursued both by sheriff giddings and by antoine and everyone ends up up there at the snake river canyon and it's just uh uh, I don't know if I can say this, but it's a shit show. It's <laughs> like, uh, it's like Altamont, the fire festival, all those crazy events that just didn't go right. Yeah. And it just descends kind of into madness at the end. I don't know if this is a, a good indication or a bad indication, but you had me kind of rooting for the bad guys. And I always, and I asked myself, how does that happen? And, and then I said, well, what does that say about me? <laughs> you know, To some degree, they're all the bad guys. So you have to root for somebody. Um, you know, someone told me yesterday that they were even kind of, uh, I kind of liked, uh, I, I was kind of pulling for the sheriff a little bit. And I'm like, okay, well, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, because he's he's the one who goes really over the top. Uh, but, um, 
you know, I tried to humanize them. I mean, even the sheriff has his reasons. It's, he's in love and, you know, his heart is broken. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Antoine certainly, I don't want to give too much away, but uh-huh. he turns out to have some facets that we don't Im- immediately imagine he does. And so, you know, that's just what you try to do is like, well, if these guys are just completely unlikable uh, criminals, you know, why am I reading the story? So you really have to try and give people something to invest in. Well, shit show is a really good uh, description of the, the story. And the, fa- the fact is the two guys that you mentioned there at the end are both guys that are on polar opposites of the world. They're both not good guys. And like you said, early on, you're like, okay, well, the sheriff, you know, he's got reason. And then by the end, you're like, wow, he, I didn't see that coming. And then Antoine, you have a pretty good feeling he's a bad guy, but then you learn things about him. <laughs> I remember the first time I discovered the little thing that I'm not referencing here. And I was like, oh, I did not see that coming. And it was. I didn't either (laughs) until I got there, really. Yeah. And then it just seemed right. So, yeah. Well, and I think that's the beauty of writing. Uh, I don't know if you're how much of a outliner or just go by the seat of your pants uh, for those who know those phrases. But it feels like part of the magic is, and part of the fun for us as writers is you'll create this character. And then when that character shows you something that you hadn't had planned and you go with it, it always ends up being very satisfying. Yeah. I'm definitely more of a, a seat of the pants, pantser as they, as yeah. they say it. And, um, but you know, with this one, I, I basically, I had the map, you know, I knew it was a road story. Sure. I knew where it was starting and I knew some of the places we were going along the way and where it was ending up. But, I, you know, obviously the, that left a lot of room to kind of play around in. Borrowing that idea of being surprised, was there anything else that you as a writer, you're into this and you're, you, you know exactly where you're going and then another surprise came up and it took you down a road that you hadn't expected and what would that be? There is a uh, long section that has uh, kind of been replaced <laughs> from my original draft. This is why editors are a good thing. Uh, you know, I, uh, the, the story gets crazy, but it got even crazier in my original draft. And there's a little section where involving a family of moonshiners. And originally that was uh, a lot closer to like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, my editor was like, OK, I, you know, I, I like this book. Uh, I'm, I consider buying this book. But this this part, I just don't know. It just seems way too way too much it it destroys kind of the tone of the thing and and i had to admit okay i i see i did go over the line here i kind of pulled it back a little bit uh and i think it's still i think what i came up with to replace it uh, works pretty well yeah there's still a little bit of moonshine there and 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 it's just kind of expected in this genre too yeah there were certain things that i had to get in there i guess automotive automotive mayhem i guess you'd call it there's some of that too (laughs) It's hard to write a car chase, I have to say. I mean, it's it's uh, you see a million of them in the movies, but to actually write it in prose, that was one of the hardest things I had to do. Dude, you you nailed it, in my opinion. <laughs> Thank you. You just nailed it. Hey, let's go back to hard case crime for a second, because the the yellow ribbon there. I'm a new convert to hard case crime. Can you give me a little bit of backstory on that and how? how the magic of this particular company uh, c- came about for you. Well, uh, it was, uh, the company was original hard case was originally formed mostly to uh, reprint classic crime novels that had long gone out of print by, uh, you know, recognizable authors like 
you know, a Mickey Spillane. But they did start to do originals as well. Uh, I think they really started to do that because they uh, wanted a blurb from Stephen King. And he said, well, instead of a blurb, why don't I write you a book? And they're like, mm, yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, do that. <laughs> yeah. They started doing originals uh, mixed in with these reprints. And, um, you know, a lot of it is, I mean, you can see from the covers, they're kind of lurid throwbacks to the kind of dime novels. And um, a lot of the stories are kind of classic noir. You know, Charles Gate was a little different than what they had done. And, and Low Down Road, he, he told me, I, he said, I don't think we've ever done anyone quite like this before. You know, this kind of setting. And how it started for me, I really uh, emailed uh, Charles out of the blue. I finally said, you know, I, I would, my dream really is just to have this from Hard Case Crime with one of those lurid covers on it. And why don't I, you know, so I pitched it to him and he said, sure, send it to me. I didn't expect anything to come of that. But, you know, a few days later, he sent me this really detailed email, just glowing thing about all the stuff he loved about it. And I had to like, just quickly scroll to the bottom to see, okay, <laughs> but are you taking it? And he said, yes, I would like to buy this book. And and so that's how it started. And then we're going to wrap the show in a second with the mm-hmm. uh, best piece of writing advice, but you have just hit on something that I think is very powerful for our listeners who, especially those who are aspiring writers is that you, the tenacity uh, and, and the bravery, if you will, just to say, you know what? I'd love to be on hard case crime. I'm just going to reach out. What can they do? My thing is always this having worked in sales way back when all you can do is say no. And, and you know, you either then have one or two options, try to turn that no into a yes or move on to the next guy who may say no. And you just keep going until you get a yes. So I applaud you for just saying, I'm just going to give it a shot and see what happens. Because, look, it happened. I guess that would be my piece of writing advice. Um, I usually tell people to avoid writing advice because a lot of it is comes off as like one size fits all. And I just don't agree with that. I mean. I don't even agree with the people who say you're not a writer if you don't write every day. Sure you are. Today you don't feel like writing, but tomorrow you'll still be a writer. <laughs> you got to have the confidence in what you've written, I guess. You're going to find a way to, you know, get it to happen. Would your piece of advice be the same if you were sitting down to a classroom full of let's say high schoolers who were all like, man, I, I'm, I would really love to be a writer. I love the written word, et cetera. Would it be the same there as say a, a graduating college class or even, you know, you're teaching a, a course on a weekend night somewhere. Would it be consistent that way? And, and what would it, and, and if not, would it, how would it shift? I think with a class of younger people, you have to start with, you know, finding uh, what is in them that makes them want to be a writer and make sure that, you know, if there's a certain type of writing they want to do, make sure that they're, first of all, reading that type of writing. Um, because otherwise, um, you know, I think you're going to be a little lost. So, uh, you know, uh, yeah, this isn't a new piece of advice, but reading is very important if you if you want to be a writer. I you seem like a kind of guy. I think you're the kind of guy that could I could have a lot a little bit of fun with here just for shits and giggles. Um, okay. That I want to do a, a game we used to we do occasionally called rapid fire questions, and I'll start out easy with something like old school pen and paper or keyboard uh pen and paper i i like to go out to coffee houses and bars and do my writing there in <laughs> first draft first draft yeah second draft come back type it up see if you do this pen and paper thing you actually get an extra draft because when you're typing it up for the first time 
you'll you'll, al you'll already notice some things that aren't right or that you want to change and you can make those changes then so it's a bonus well it's it's funny because you like read over my shoulder because my next question was loud coffee shop or bar or a quiet library yeah loud coffee shop or bar i i don't know i i like to have life around me you know yeah and um you know, you never know. You might overhear something that <laughs> works for you. I told a friend of mine that once. They said, "Why do you like uh, hanging out in coffee shops so much?" I said, "Because I, I'm a, I'm an eavesdropper. I, I, you know, well, why is that? Well, you never know what kind of patterns and, and vernacular slide into a story. And if you listen to the way people speak, it's way different than a lot of times. You'll write, "Oh, this is the conversation you're writing," but when you listen to people, they they shorthand things, so they don't really speak the same way. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I, yeah. see, I mean, a dialogue is something that I really um, sort of pride myself on and I try to get it right. Yeah. That's one thing I'm going to take a detour because that's one thing I love about your writing. That is my favorite thing. Your your command of dialogue and it's a lot of conversation, but I don't I don't I don't get lost in that. I'm actually there's a couple things that you say. Uh, they're talking. These guys are talking about being outside, and they're running across snakes and so forth. Well, I tried. I tried the Boy Scouts when I was a kid, but you know the problem with the Boy Scouts? What's that? No girls. It just wasn't for me. <laughs> yeah, that comes from, I guess, somewhat Elmore Leonard. But uh, before him, George V. Higgins, who wrote The Friends of Eddie Coyle. That book is like ninety percent. That's an extreme example because it's like ninety percent dialogue. But that's a good way to reveal character and. And, and story. Both, both, both of those can come through dialogue. Exactly. You learn so much just by listening to the guys talk. All right. Speaking of which, let's see. Number three, you're stepping into the world you created and have just been awarded the job of tracking down two hoodlums. Now, what's the car you're going to be driving to use in your chase? Okay. I'm going to steal this right from low down road and I stole it from originally from Vanishing Point, an early 70s uh, car chase movie that's kind of more trippy and existential than the hick flicks, but it's the uh, 1970 Dodge Challenger. Uh, uh, the, that's the car that the character in that movie drove, so I gave it to... It's actually Dean's car, but Chuck borrowed it. Yeah. It uh, it doesn't have all necessarily a good life, we'll just say. Yeah. All right. Hey, along that line... You have a sidekick who's going to help you, Scott, who from your past, yet reimagined in this world of redneck pursuit in the style of will it be and why. So you got a sidekick from your past. You're going to pull him into your world. Who would it be and why? Oh boy. Yeah. Um, see, you can't get this everywhere. Yeah. The college friend, uh, Andrew Osborne, who I'm still friends with, uh, we did a number of, uh, uh, road trips together. We, we moved out to Los Angeles together and then we fl fled Los Angeles together. So I, as a wheel man, you know, it's good to have someone who will just go for hours and hours without, you know, needing to stop. And, uh, uh he's pretty good with that. He'll just keep going and going. I love it. That's a great answer. And one final one, and it's not going to be as difficult. You can go back in time and be any one of your 1970s TV or film heroes for a day, who would it be and why? 1970s TV or film hero? Oh, the 
the, the, the six million dollar man. I mean, he was he was my absolute uh, childhood hero. Um, yeah, I, there was no way to get him into this book, but um, yeah, um, you know that uh, he he could he could do it all. He could he could run. He could jump. He yeah. could see things far away. <laughs> Whoever came up with that character, and what? he fought Bigfoot. Most importantly. <laughs> Oh, folks, is, uh, if you'd like to learn more about Scott, you can follow him on Twitter like I do, at Von Doviak. Yeah, go to scottvondoviak.com. Perfect. Scott, dude, this is so much fun. The book is Low Down Road. It's dropping soon. I want you folks, uh, July 11th, matter of fact, been a lot of fun, uh, both reading the book and hanging out with you. Yeah, great time. Thanks for having me on. All right, coming up next week, as we kick off our fifth season here in July, we are, uh, as you've noticed, moving our shows to drop now on Mondays. Gives you something to start your week with. And you're going to start your week with Bruce Orgos, and the book is The Bitter Past. For fans of Craig Johnson, you're going to love it. Bruce Orgos, first-time guest on The Thriller Zone. We're looking forward to it. A quick reminder before we head on out, love to hear from you. You can always reach us at thethrillerzone at gmail.com. Of course, you can listen to us at thethrillerzone.com or any of your favorite podcast channels, Spotify, Apple, you name them, we're there. Until next time, I'm David Temple, your host. I'll see you next time for another edition of The Thriller Zone. Your front row seat to the best thrillers. The Thriller Zone has been presented by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller.